Coach Reed also made a bet with us that he would jump into the Clark Fork River. You know, if there's that little swimming hole next to the what we called the River Bowl practice field there. It was kind of that offshoot. Yeah. And if we beat him, uh, he was going to jump in that lake. Now it's getting into October. That water's getting kind of cold. Um, so after we beat him, we were we were a little nervous that, you know, we might go into shock and have a heart attack or do something. <laughs> so, But he's a man to his word, and he showed up to practice on that Monday uh, with a full dry suit, a big giant life preserver, and he went off the little rope swing that was there and into the lake uh, or into the little river, the back channel. Uh, so he had given us, you know, we had talked about not only that game, but, you know, seeing Coach Reed uh, jump into the Clark Fork River after we beat him. And he, he held true to it and he uh, survived the Delta. Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Alongside Colton Juanas, I'm Ryan Tutel. We are excited to share on this episode of the Grizz Greats podcast our conversation with an outstanding wide receiver and really an icon in the University of Montana football history, Matt Wells. Matt Wells came to the University of Montana from Ashland, Oregon, where coincidentally he actually played high school football with Brent Wilberger, the man Dave Dickinson eventually beat out to become Montana's starting quarterback. During Wells' outstanding Montana career, the Grizzlies went 40-12 and overall and 22-6 and in the Big Sky Conference. Coming out of his junior year, entering the 1995 season, Wells had been a contributor but not the go-to option for a Grizzly passing attack. Led by 1994 seniors Scott Guernsey and Shalon Baker, the two most productive receivers in the history of the program. But by the time Wells' senior year was over, the all-time leader in catches, yards, and touchdowns at the University of Montana, he finished his career with 248 grabs for 3,342 yards and 23 touchdowns those including playoff games, and the five foot seven, 160-pounder, widely regarded as one of the most popular and beloved players in the history of the program. He was indeed fun to talk to, a great storyteller, some wonderful anecdotes, and probably some things you haven't heard about before. Please enjoy this episode of Grizz Greats with Matt Wells. Matt, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Well, we got a ton to get to, but I got to start with this. You are from Ashland, Oregon, originally. How many Shakespearean plays did you get to go see at that beautiful Ashland Theater? I mean, that is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. You know, it's, it, it is a great place, and I saw probably one a year because that meant you got to get out of school for a day. Right. And so... <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you usually, you know, there was usually a field trip trip involved, and you could go watch the the plays. And so, yeah, that's a that's a big part of the Ashland uh, uh, culture and the Ashland atmosphere. And I saw plenty of them, probably too many to uh, to remember. Well, you got the you got the theater side of it, and that's great. You also had the football side of it, and uh, playing football in Oregon. It's interesting because several of the coaches on on the Montana staff, including obviously Don Reed, but Robin Flugrad as well, who was a wide receivers coach there from Oregon originally. How did you get on the radar of the University of Montana or vice versa? How did they get on yours? Yeah, so I um, so my high school quarterback, my junior year of high school, was uh, he was a senior, was Burt Wilberger. And um, so, uh, you know, I was getting some looks, and most people, you know, I was getting – 
just based on stats. You know, I'd get a lot of letters from places, and then they would see my size, and the letters would get less and less. Um, right. But uh, in, in recruiting, uh, recruiting uh, Bert, they uh, they were watching me on film, and they actually had had a um, a program that had me listed as a senior incorrectly. And so that the story goes, they called Coach Nagel, who was who's a legend there in Oregon, and and said, hey, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to take Burt, but where's this number three going? And that's what number I was in high school. And, 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 and Nagel said, nowhere. Coach Nagel said, nowhere. And um, they said, well, why not? And, and they said, well, he's only a junior. I'd like to have him back for one more year. So that started. It all started with them looking at Burt, and they stayed in contact. Um, you know, I had Montana ties, and that my mom and dad were from there. But, uh, you know, I was looking at, you know, some of the other, you know, Oregon State was very interested. That's when they, they, uh, or uh, I went up there on my recruiting trip for Oregon State to watch the Montana game and watched Montana just clobber uh, Oregon State. And I saw Shannon Cabanock running all over the field, a smaller wide receiver. And uh, it was then that I pretty much knew that that was the place that I was going to go. Um, and uh, so, you know, they just, they, they, Bert was up there, you know, I, I had some familiarity, you know, coach Reed and those people were Oregon ties. And I did have the push from my parents wanting, you know, like all Montanans, you know, they may leave, but they come back and, and that's exactly what they did uh, after they retired. And so they were, they were pushing me that route as well too. Best decision I made. The offense back then, I mean, was Innovative, ahead of its time, super fun to watch. But when you were a high school kid thinking about playing in that offense, I mean, what did what did you first think? What was your initial impression of just all the four wide and the bubble screens and all the cool, crazy stuff Don Reed and his staff were doing? Well, honestly, we did all that stuff in high school. Um, we were a very innovative four receiver uh, set. Um, now we did it a little differently. I played wide out. We had the smaller guys on the outside and had bigger, like H back type guys on the, on the inside. Uh, but, uh, I was set up very well in high school, um, with, uh, with the offense we ran, we had a lot of side adjustment stuff that we did at Montana. So I really did have a leg up on some of the other guys that came in that, you know, had played in a more traditional, you know, I back or, you know, different type of offense. So I, I was lucky in, in that respect that it was a pretty easy, uh, transition as far as the type of offense that we ran. With that, though, I mean, you have the experience, so you're you're accustomed to it as a player. But here, looking back now, 25 years and, and, and even more on your on your playing days, do you realize like how how much on the forefront offensively you were in high school, and then certainly at the University of Montana? Because this is what football has really become. But it feels like Don Reed and your you know Montana offense were doing it before just about everybody. Yeah, you know, I, I do think, you know, it's funny. Football always evolves, right? It's, it's like you get into these power games and then, then the, 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 the defense, you know, adjusts to that and then the offense ad, then adjusts to it. And so, you know, there's been time periods where, um, you, you know, the, the, the offenses have evolved. But I will say at that time, um, I, did, I did understand um, the advantage we had in that, you know, our play, you could call a play, but that play may look different based on what the, what the defense did. And that was, that was unique. A lot of, you know, teams call a play 
and then you'd have to audible out of it or do something. We most of our plays, it was like, okay, if they're in a you know uh, cover zero or a cover three or a cover one, that same play may look totally different based on the coverage. I think I had remembered that you had gone to high school with Burt Wilberger, but when you reminded me, it sort of was a reminder, and, and that's an interesting fold because at that time, I mean, Montana had already produced great quarterbacks under Don Reed. I mean, Brent Pease was awesome, Grady Bennett, Brad Lebo, and then Burt Wilberger was supposed to be uh, the next guy. And then uh, all of a sudden, this this little guy from Great Falls, Montana, sort of rises up and leads him to the, the comeback against South Dakota State, and sort of the rest is history. But what do you remember about your perception of the quarterback, especially since you had played in high school with the guy who a lot of people thought was maybe the heir apparent? Yeah, it was interesting because my freshman year in uh, Miller Hall, my roommate was Dave Dickinson. And uh, so we were freshman roommates. And I remember thinking, this poor guy's never going to get to play because, you know, Bert <laughs> is clearly, clearly going to be the best quarterback. And, and honestly, as great as Dave was, um, you know, Bert was that in high school. We were 14 and 0. Um, in in our senior his senior year won the state championship in Oregon um at the highest division at the time and and we were there were 82 schools at that division and we were the 78th in size we were one of the smallest so we were going out of Little Ashland going against the Portland and the Rosebergs and and those and and interestingly enough we won a state championship uh my junior year by two points in which I kicked a field goal with less than a minute left to win it uh, very eerily to what we did against Marshall um, in the national championship game. But Bert was, had Bert not been behind Dave, uh, he probably would have been one of, uh, he probably would have been the second team Big Sky Conference if he'd have gone anywhere else uh, quarterback behind Dave. He just happened. So one problem with that quarterback position, you can be really good at it. And there's one guy in front of you and you never really get to play much, but he was an incredible uh, uh, quarterback too. And just obviously got lost behind Dave. I mean, yeah, what 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 tough luck for him. I remember reading uh, an article that Bill Schwanke wrote once upon a time that w- Wilberger barely lost out to Grady Bennett as a freshman, barely lost out to Brad Lee. It's like you got, you're behind some of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the school, uh, but it seemed as if he always had uh, a great attitude about it. Matt, let's talk just about sort of the building of this thing towards the 1995 season because I know that Montana at the time – was nowhere near what Montana would become. You guys were sort of on the forefront of building uh, Montana's reputation as a nationally elite program. And so in 1993, make the playoffs for the first of what would become three straight playoff bursts, which then would become 17 straight playoff bursts eventually. But what turn? What, what were you guys able to turn the page in, in 1993? How were you guys able to, to get into the playoffs? And what did those experiences in 93 and 94 do for you in terms of confidence going into 1995? Well, if you had to, you know, point to one single thing, it'd probably be Dave Dickinson, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, uh, he was he was an incredible quarterback and a great leader. And, and so that was, uh, you know, it was timing was right. But I will tell you, uh, 90, you know, 92 season and 91 when I was a redshirt, I mean, we had good teams. We just we had some tough breaks and, so, and tough schedules. Um, you know, that was, you know – those were good teams too. And I, I really think, you know, it, it was, was it, was it 89 the year before or two years before I got there that they went to the semis? Uh, yeah, yep. 1989. The first, I think that was their and, first and, ever playoff berth and a semifinal appearance. Yep. 
Yeah. And so I think that that, I think that that really, you know, that group, um, and I probably Tim Houck and Trevathan and Clark and all those guys were probably on that team that, that gave the confidence that, that, that it could be done. And then I think having a little, you know, some tough breaks in 91 and 92, um, it, you know, it just, it got us wanting to get back to what that 89 team did. You know, I mean, it was literally, uh, we, we wanted to, to be like that team. And so, you know, I just, I, I think the program that Don Reed started, um, you know, back in, you know, 86, if I'm correct, and, and having that success in 89, and then that little bit of drop off, uh, um, you know, brought out the fire, and then you add in a, a, an incredible quarterback like Dave, and, you know, it was bound to happen. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter. While First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second-ever berth in the Division I AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division I AA playoffs. And at that time, first-round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team, as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs playoffs and of course that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths and in 1995 that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 national championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. You know, Matt, I'm interested. You come, you know, as we talked about, from Ashland, Oregon. You're very successful, unbelievably successful state champions at that level. But also, you know, now you're going to play Division One college football, and it seems like, okay, everybody's got to kind of find that moment where they say, okay, I know that I can do it here. And your first game that you played in was at Kansas State, of all places, obviously an outstanding football school. And you had 12 catches in the second half of that football game. What what was that like that to go in there and have what what's I mean a career day in basically a half in the first game you ever played? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, a lot of people don't know the last really bad kicker we had was that year um, in 1992 because I was the kicker as well. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't remember that, and I think that was their I think that was their number one priority. Um, their number one priority in the off season was to go get somebody like Andy Larson. Uh, so who knows if I would have even traveled had I not been uh, the kicker. Um, but uh, you know, it was, that was kind of a very sweet game for me in that my brother was a, was a West pointer. Or well, he would tell me never to say West pointer. That's a dog. He, he went to West point. Um, <laughs> he, he, uh, he went to West Point and he was actually state stationed there at Fort Riley. And so he, all through my high school, he never saw a game because he was, he was off at West Point. And so that was the first game that he had ever seen me play live football. 
um, since like eighth grade or seventh grade or something like that. And um, so he's in the stands. Um, I don't play at all in the first half other than to kick. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, the first play of the second half, um, the coaches, you know, were a little upset. There was a little timing issue between the receiver and the quarterback. And I just happened to be standing next to Coach Flugrad, and, and they just grabbed me and just threw me in there. And, and, and the first play, I'm lining up in the, in the slot, and they've got this, you know, outside linebacker lined up over me. And we're, we're only down. I don't remember. You know, we're close. We lost that. It was a close game. And I remember the guy looking over at me and asking if we were quitting. And I was, I was confused. I, you know, I didn't know. I was nervous. I was scared. And I was, you know, and I'm running back after the first route. I catch the ball. And he says, are you guys quitting? And I, I looked at him. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, aren't you the kicker? <laughs> and so, you know, uh, you know they, were, they were confused. And, and maybe it was, maybe they just didn't cover me at all because they thought I was the kicker. But I, I, you know, I certainly wanted to prove to them that, like, no, I'm not, not, not really a kicker. That's just, you know, I just kind of got handed that recently, you know. But so, uh, yeah, that was a pretty special game. And I, I still remember that one. And, you know, I live about, and now about two, two and a half hours from uh, Kansas State. And, you know, it's a, it's a special place, too. They, they love their football very much like they do in Missoula. Talk to us about the dynamic of just the receiver group at the time at, at Montana. Robin Flugrad, an, an excellent receivers coach who then went on to coach at some of the biggest and best programs in the country before circling back around and becoming the head coach at Montana years later. But it seems to me that the group was was flush with talent, the duration that you were there, but, but it seemed as if it took a collective buy-in because although – Everybody was going to have a chance to get a little bit of a piece of the pie. No one was going to be that featured guy because you guys spread the ball around so much. How did you guys cultivate that chemistry and that unselfishness? Yeah, there was, you know, you go back, you know, to my early years and fighting to get on the field with, you know, players like, you know, uh, Billy Cockhill. I always want to say Coach Cockhill because he ended up being the receivers coach the last year. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Cockhill and then Shannon Kavanaugh. And, and then you get into the, the next phase where you had, you know, the Marvin Turks and the, uh, the Guernseys. And, and you know, the, I, I, would, I could leave, you know, I could sit here and list off names and leave people's uh, names off. We were a very, very competitive group. Um, we, we, every one of us thought we were the best. You know, but at the end of the day, uh, we were uh, a group that was very tight and close and and uh, and and it was a fun, fun day of practice every day with us always trying to show up somebody else on the receiving crew. And under Coach Flugrad, the number one way you would find your yourself not getting on the field is not blocking. Um, So if you ever watch some of those games, you know, a guy would make a catch and there was always a lot of really good down the field blocks. Um, from receivers, you know, the play wasn't just about you catching the ball. It was, okay, if somebody else catches it, what are you going to do to, to break them free to turn this small pass into a, a, into a large game? But there are so many receivers that never even really, kind of like Burt, that never really got onto the field that could have gone into any other place and, and started easily um, at receiver. Reading through the 1995 media guide leading up to that season, the one of the number one storylines that they go over in that and that Don Reed questions is just the receivers group because you guys, Shalon Baker graduates, Scott Guernsey graduates, Robin Flugrad has moved on to a new job. 
And I know that that 94 team was stacked, a team that if the chips fall right, maybe you, you make a run at a national championship that year. I mean, you guys did make a run. Maybe you even win the national championship that year, but some injuries didn't go your way. But only 12 returning starters coming into the 1995 season. No Scott Guernsey, no Shalon Baker, no Scott Gregg. So what do you remember just about the uh, expectations for the offense and the team as a whole? And did you guys, I mean, was that a motivating factor as a receivers group trying to replace those really productive guys that had graduated the year before? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, we were a competitive group, and we did get a very key uh, transfer by the name of Joe Douglas. Um who was uh, very helpful and somebody we didn't see, you know, when you're at the end of the season, didn't know that he certainly was going to be there. Um, and so, you know, you added him and you had, you had a good mix, um, uh, you know, with Earhart with his size and, and Douglas with being a great uh, high school running back, you know, you just get the ball to him and, and it was like a running play. And, and then uh, with um, uh, Pacheco, uh, you know, just the young kid who did everything, who did everything right was where he was supposed to be worked hard, played hard, you know, went on to have, he was pretty young then. I think he might've even been a freshman. I don't remember. Um, but, uh, we, you know, we, we, but I think what made that, that group special was we, we had some good senior leaders, um, in Dickinson and Manzanares and, and Simonson on, on the line. And, and, and we had some great senior leaders, but we really, the, the, the class below us and, and, and one below with Crebo and things like that, they really filled in a lot of those, uh, you know, they, they had the majority of the positions, but we had good senior leadership that, you know, just we expected to win and we wanted to win. And, you know, we wanted to win a national championship. I don't think any of us thought at the beginning of the year that it wasn't going to be possible. I think we all thought, you know, we were somehow, somehow way, you know, Dickinson was going to get us there. What do you remember most about Don Reed? Oh man, he's, you know, he's the best. He, he really, you know, um, he was a, he was a player's coach, you know, that's a, probably an overused term. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I found out for many years later from some of my friends that coached under him said, they said, don't, don't confuse his, his, uh, niceness to you guys out there on the field that he's that way with the coaches in the meetings. You know, I think he was, he expected greatness from his coaches, but he, he allowed the coaches to coach. And, you know, so, um, you know, uh, the coach pieces and the flu grads and the, 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 uh, the coach Dennehy and some of the great coaches that I, that I had, um, he allowed them to coach and he never, he never saw him, you know, uh, showing his power over those assistant coaches on the field. And then he was just kind of, you know, during practice, he was just kind of coming around, checking on you, seeing how you're doing, telling you a joke, you know, or, um, you know, so he just, he really was, he was like the father figure of the, of the program and just a super nice guy. One of those guys that, you know, some people have it. You, you, you think when you're talking to him, you're the most important person. And that's really kind of a, that was one of his, his great gifts. The landscape of the big sky at that moment was shifting. I mean, the, the traditional league as it had been known for 30 years was starting to change with first Nevada leaving, and then I know uh, there was pl- announcements and plans to leave for Boise State and Idaho, and I know it didn't happen until after the 1995 season. But what do you remember just about the landscape of the league at that moment and where Montana just fit into the, the mix? Yeah, I mean, I've, obviously the big sky conference is totally different now than than 
when I first got there, you know, with the Nevada Renos and the Idaho's and, and well, Idaho's come back, but in, in Boise state, it was a different conference, uh, you know, or it is a different conference now. Um, sometimes I miss some of those, uh, those rivalries. Um, and, and it was always fun to play Boise state, especially with, you know, Pokey Allen there who had, you know, that was one school I looked at was Portland state and they were division two at the time. And he was the coach there. And he told me I was too small to play division two football. So I decided to go play at Montana, but um, <laughs> so I always enjoyed my, and I would, I would remind him that many times down at stocks in the summer when he would, when, when I would work there and he would, he would come in, come back to his hometown of Missoula. I'd always remind him that I was too small to play division two. and He'd laugh, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is, it, it is a totally, totally different uh, conference. And at first I didn't really like it. I didn't like some of these uh, teams that, um, you know, you barely heard of back then in the big sky conference, but I've grown to, I've grown to love, uh, I've grown to love it. I, I, I wish you could play all, you know, I know they got tons of teams now and you don't play everybody and that, you know, I, I've never been a fan of that. I, I think a conference should be a conference and everybody plays everybody. In that 95 season, Matt, you, you come in, you go to Washington State in the second game, and it's a, a really competitive football game, uh, but, but that you're one and one after that game. But a couple weeks later, Boise State, who's at the time number three in the country and obviously has been uh, a national power, I believe they were in the national championship game the year prior, comes in and you guys didn't just win, you dominated 54 points offensively in that game and rolling up Boise. Was that an announcement to you about what this program was, or did you feel like, hey, this is, we, we knew we were going to do that? Well, so it, 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 that game goes back to the year before, and we played Boise State down there, and we were ranked, I can't remember at the time, we were ranked one or two in the country. And we went down to Boise State, and they – thoroughly beat the crap out of us. It was one of those games where it was 38-14, I think, or 38-something, but it, it it was a 50-3 to game. It wasn't even close. I mean, the score was way closer than how that game went. And we were frustrated. They they had done some things that to, you know, to confuse us and to stall us. And it just was a frustrating game. And in the offseason, um, that was a game that every day in – in um, winter conditioning and through all the, the, the tough times getting ready for the season, uh, the coaches remind us of, and that was one that we had circled, you know, on the schedule as this is the game where we're, we're going to get back uh, what, what happened to us the year before. So um, was it a surprise? No, because we talked about it for months and months. Now, a great side story of that is coach Reed also made a bet with us that he would jump into the Clark fork river you know if there's that little swimming hole next to the what we called the river bowl practice field there it was kind of that offshoot yeah and if we beat him uh he was going to jump in that lake now it's getting into october that water's getting kind of cold um so after we beat him we were we were a little nervous that you know he might go into shock and have a heart attack or do something (laughs) so but he's a man to his word and he showed up to practice on that monday uh, with a full dry suit, a big giant life preserver, and he went off the little rope swing that was there and into the lake uh, <laughs> or into the little river, the back channel. Uh, so he had given us, you know, we had talked about not only that game, but, you know, seeing Coach Reed uh, jump into the Clark Fork River after we beat him, and he, he held true to it, and he uh, survived to tell about it. 
At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, our team works with you to understand your technology concerns, then deploys the right solution for your unique needs. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take that next step, Blackfoot is here to help. For more information, visit grizzgreats.com or call 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. Montez been rolling along for a couple weeks, and then the loss to the University of Idaho. And I know that there's hey, that's always a rivalry. Now with the Vandals back in the league, there's there's still bad blood. I shouldn't say bad blood, but uh, bitter words. It's definitely a heated rivalry still with Idaho back in the league. And I think many Grizz fans and Bobcat fans take great joy in in uh, their teams beating the Vandals. Now the Vandals are back in the league. But what do you remember about that loss to Idaho? And was that a, a moment that sort of opened your guys' eyes because no losses after that moment for the rest of the year. Yeah, that was a, you know, to your point, you know, I, I, res- I hated, but respected Boise state and I hated, but respected Montana state, but I hated Idaho. You know, and it, it, you know, that's kind of that sneaky game. You know, everybody will talk about back then Boise state or, or Montana state, and the rivalries we had, you know, but, you know, Idaho was just that, that just was, I just didn't like that team and, and, and a great team, uh, very well respected. Um, and that was just a game where if I remember right, uh, we got off to a slow start. Um, we gave up some, some long touchdowns, you know, where we just didn't get pressure and the quarterback held onto the ball for it seemed like 400 seconds and then just threw one down the middle and they catch it and score. And we just got, we just didn't come out to play and we made a valiant effort. Um, I think Dave's stats were like incredible, um, but we had some mishaps. I think I had a fumble in that game and, and a few things. And just, I think what it, we took away from that was you got to come out from the start. And I think if you look at almost every other game, except for Marshall, you know, from that point forward, um, you know, counting the playoffs, we came out from the start and, you know, hit, hit people in teeth and, and tried to say, Hey, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to play with us. And that was just a, that was just a frustrating, bad loss. One, I didn't think I didn't see that happening. And uh, yeah, that was still, I still get, you know, I still get upset about that game. Fast forward now into the playoffs, and you have three home games, as it would turn out, at Washington Grizzly Stadium. And uh, between the three, it was Montana 163, opponents 14 over the course of of that unbelievable three-game run to the national championship. What did you make of that at the time where all of a sudden, I mean, it was just a a hot knife through butter what you were doing offensively against some, you know, purportedly really good opponents? You know, I think the reason we, one of the major reasons we won the national championship was the, uh, the resurgence of our defense. Uh, there were several years there, you know, going back to 91, 92, 93, 94, where we'd score a lot of points, but give up a lot of points. And it, it, it was almost like after that Idaho game, I mean, we always had, you know, good, good defenses, but we, we ended up having great defense and, and, uh, it, they started clicking and, and uh, I, I really think that, that, you know, that when you, 
when you added the, how the defense played late in the season, you know, the Eastern Washington, Montana, and then on through the playoffs is, is a major reason that, that you, that we won the national championship. And that's what I remember about it is, I mean, just, you never thought of Montana was going to, was going to pitch shutouts. And we just, we basically did it two weeks in a row. And I would call the, the Stephen F. Austin a, a shutout as well. Um, and so, and then, you know, they, they played incredible against, you know, we didn't put up a lot of points against Marshall and the defense, you know, you could, you can make the case that safety is the two points that, that, that win that for us. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I want to talk to you about that because you have the, the defense did what it did and really did it consistently the whole way through. But that national championship game, first of all, Marshall, Marshall's a great team. Uh, so you, you, you certainly it's not going to be easy to win that game. But the normal sort of game that Montana has played has generally been pretty high scoring all the way through, if not just Montana, both teams. And in this national championship, it was it was not that right. It was a low scoring game. It was a struggle offensively both directions uh, for most of the day. So was that odd? Did it, did, it, did, it, did it feel weird to play in a game that was, you know, very different dynamically from what you were accustomed to? Well, you know, it's funny. You, know, you, you, remember, the, you remember the win. Remember you, I remember our, my career as our offense being a very prolific offense. And, you know, uh, uh, May 1st, I had a uh, meniscus uh, surgery, a little, little meniscus repair. So I was laid up on the couch. And I realized, you know, that my, my daughters, my youngest daughter, who's 14, had, had never, you know, seen the game or whatever. And I'm laid up. I'm like, hey, this, the national championship game's on YouTube. Let's, let's watch this. And so she was nice uh, and sat there with me. And honestly, I really only got through the first half. Uh, first off, she was, all right, this is boring. I thought you guys were a really good offense. And this kind of looks, you know, uh, like you guys were having a rough go at it. And and I was like, wow, this just, this doesn't, this doesn't jive with how my mind uh, remembers, uh, remembers our offense. And, and it was, it was a, an incredible struggle. And um, they did create some problems for us uh, offensively. Um, and uh, by the way, we never did watch the second half. I couldn't, I, I kept saving it for her and she never seemed to be around to want to watch it. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we still won it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, a that was not a, a, you know, if people look back on our, our team and they go to that game as the defining game and you talk about how great our offenses were through the years of Don Reed, they're going to look at that and go, I, I don't see it. Um, but luckily you, you got two sides of the ball and the defense picked up for us. And then we made the plays when we needed to offensively to, to get the win. Coulter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game. And former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics. And that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, Several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up. Certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. 
The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. We'll get a little bit more of that game, but I have one more question about the lead-up to it because I'm sitting here looking at the Division One AA playoff bracket right now, and sometimes we forget just the, the little details. But, I mean, in this playoff, Montana came in as a sixth seed, but the reason Georgia Southern comes to Missoula is that year Georgia Southern, while being a power perennially, they were a 14 seed, but they upset Troy State, so that gives Montana another home game. In the quarterfinals, Stephen F. Austin upsets App State, the two-seed. So Montana gets another home game. Do you remember sort of the excitement but also just the unlikely nature of what was going on that kind of catered to you guys getting those three games in Missoula? You know, I do. I do remember, like, it was like every, you know, we would we would win and the, you know, we were preparing that, you know, we were thinking, okay, when we win this game, we'll be traveling you know, to this year and this, how we're going to do it. And but, and then all of a sudden, wait, we got another home game. And I do, I was going to mention that earlier. And I, I thought we were a seven seed. I, I didn't know even that we were a six seed. So, um, but I do remember that every week it was kind of like, whoa, the, the team that, that was supposed to, to win and we were supposed to have to go travel to loses. And it was very, you know, it was very fortunate for us, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that we were able to have those home games because, you know, there was no, and still to this day, there's no division one double a or FCS, whatever you call it atmosphere uh, like Missoula. And, and, and even back then before, you know, you had even the, the upper deck and all the different additions, it still was a major advantage to us to, to play at home. The chips fall your way playing at home all the way through the semis, but then, National Championship, basically a road game. So what do you remember about the atmosphere in Huntington, West Virginia? I mean, when we watched the the playback of it, it seems as if – I know there was thousands of Grizz fans there, but that paled in comparison to the 30,000-plus Marshall fans that were there. Uh, honestly, I, I think our, our 3,000 fans or whatever were just as loud as their you know, 27,000 fans or however many – I don't even remember, but um, I do remember – how loud it was for our fans. Um, and that's, that was, that's what's great about uh, Montana Grizzly fans and, and uh, the special, you know, a relationship that the football team has with its, its fan base. Um, Cause I, yeah, there were a lot more there for them, but ours were just as loud. Um, and, you know, leading up to it, you know, we went out there, they, they, they tried to run that thing very much like a bowl game. And we went out like for four or five days before, and they were trying to do some, some joint things like some joint banquets and there were tensions at those things that they, if I remember right, they had to cancel a couple of things that we were supposed to do. Uh, there was, you could tell the two teams uh, uh, did not like each other. You could tell that they thought they were far superior to us and that we were just some small town kids from Montana, you know, coming out there and it was going to be an easy walk. And, and, uh, you know, so that, that whole week was a pretty, uh, intense and, uh, um, and I think you could see some of their, their, uh, you know, frustration, some of the penalties they got late hits and things like that, that, that as time went on, they, they really thought they were going to blow us out, I think. And, uh, I think that that led to their, you know, frustration and, 
and uh, some some costly penalties. Well, as it would turn out, Matt, you are the one who scored both touchdowns for the Grizzlies in that football game, and I want to talk about the first one because it's a 3-3 game. Again, it's been an offensive struggle both ways, or you could say it's been excellent defense both ways uh, throughout (laughs) most of the first half, but then in the waning, you know, the last minute or so of that first half, you catch a, a, a touchdown and a very nice touchdown, I think 24 yards into that near corner of the end zone. How big a deal was that going into half? I know you got the interception right after that and almost came away with another three points, didn't quite go in at the end of the break, but to have a 10-3 lead at halftime in that environment, what was that like from a momentum standpoint going into halftime? I think that was huge. If if, if, um, if I remember right, we it, it was they were just, they had that, it was Billy Lyons and a couple other D linemen that were just, you know, Dave was just getting drilled every, every play. And, and, and I think there was a timeout right before that, that touchdown pass. And I remember, you know, telling the old line, I'm, and I, I knew what the, we knew what the play was going to be called. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget. It's 24. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to run a flag route. And I knew they were, they were rolling the safety over to, to cover me. And I knew if I just, gave him a little end move he would bite all over it and I'd be open in the corner but it was just a matter you know to give that little extra move you need a little extra time and uh, I just said hey I said to the line I'm like just just give us a little bit more time we'll score here um and they did they did a great job and and I gave him the little inside move and his hips turned and Dave like you knew Dave was always gonna if if someone was in his face if you were open um, the only way you weren't going to get the ball in a perfect position, it was because somebody else was open too, and he put the ball in a perfect position. And, and that's what he did, put it right there where, where uh, it was a very easy catch and, and, uh, and touchdown. And then in the second half, the safety uh, on the, on the you know, intentional grounding in the end zone is the scoring in the third quarter for Montana, two-point lead, and then your touchdown, a one-yarder, a bomb from Dickinson to Matt Wells <laughs> for one yard, uh, the first score of the fourth quarter. And for the first time, and really the only time, there's a little bit of separation. It's a two-score football game. With 12.30 left, you're up nine points. What was the level uh, of confidence or nervousness or whatever in, on the team? at that moment you know I don't I don't ever remember in in games like nervousness or confidence you know you're just in the moment you're just playing um and I knew uh, you know I think even when we were up nine we knew yeah well if you're a statistician the odds are now in our favor but I don't think anybody felt like the game was over and and that there wasn't going to be uh some some more scoring and some more uh you know some more drama for lack of a better term so but you know on that touchdown that that's a classic you never give up on Dave um I, I originally ran an out a small little out route there was all kinds of people in there and then Dave starts scrambling and then I just you know we, we call it scramble drill and Dave kind of reminds me of a you know I live in Kansas City now I, I watch Patrick Mahomes number 15 I'm like Dave was the early Patrick Mahomes I mean he just he would he would make plays that you thought were over and that was one of those where he started scrambling and I just tried to find a hole and 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 Dave and then Dave threw a nice pass right in there and so yeah it was a really it wasn't the designed play it was another one of Dave just improvising and and as a receiver just staying in trying to create a, a lane for him. You mentioned just the emergence of the defense and how much they had improved and by that point they were playing 
pretty darn lights out. But you're up nine points with 12 and a half to go, and you, you just know that you're going to have to endure multiple <laughs> different drives by the Marshall offense with Chad Pennington leading the way. When you were on the sidelines during that fourth quarter watching the defense, what do you remember about that element? How much confidence did you have in those guys? Well, I mean, based on how they had played, um, you know, uh, our defense had played throughout the playoffs. I had a lot of confidence, but I also knew that, that they had, they had kept us in the game. Um, and, and Marshall was a very talented, uh, team and they could, they could be doing still playing great and, you know, give up a, a touchdown and a field goal. And, and all of a sudden we're behind. So I think at that time we knew, okay, they, they've kept us in the game. We're going to need to to score more. And ideally, you know, we would have liked to have gotten more than just three more points, but, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, we, we knew that, that the defense could keep playing great and Marshall was still going to make this a game and we were going to have to score again. You said earlier, you know, you don't, you don't really remember being uh, nervous or too excited or whatever when you're in the game, you're in the game. But when Andy Larson walks out there with 39 seconds left <laughs> to go and you get a moment to reflect. Now, first, I'm of, first of all, I know what's running through your head. Thank God it's not still me, right? That's the first thing you're thinking. <laughs> and then uh, and then, secondly, you're going, what? How is that like to sit there and go, okay, well, it's on his foot now. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, you know, it. Um, I was nervous then because now you're down and you're, you're, I, I have no control of the outcome of that. Um, you know, that we're sitting there and, and it's on Andy's leg and, 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 uh, you know, I had all the confidence in the world, you know, but you know, there's a little bit in your mind that goes back to the Delaware game when he was a freshman and missed the PAT and we lose in overtime, you know, and, and, or, uh, lose it right at the buzzer. And you're like thinking, uh, this guy, this guy deserves this one. He deserves this one. And he's made so many big kicks, whether it be Northern Arizona earlier in the year and, and, uh, so yeah, I, I was I was very nervous there. Um, I can't even remember if I watched. Um, <laughs> it would it would uh, it would be like me uh, is I'm a pretty superstitious guy. <laughs> it would be like me to not watch. I, I don't even remember if I watched. Um, but you know, uh, luckily it, it went quick, and and uh, you know I think Larry Toffinelli was the holder if I remember right, and uh, put it put it down and uh, and right up through the through the uprights and you know and and the rest is is history what superstitions did you uh bring into play for yourself for games did you what what did you have the strap going a certain way the towel at a certain spot like what was going on there all of all of the above yeah (laughs) um i was you know (laughs) you know i you know there was i still to this day you know like i'll be watching you know some of my favorite teams and i'll have to you know, I have to change seats because they're not doing well. And my wife will have to remind me, like, you know, you have no uh, say in the outcome of this game. Nothing that's what she thinks. Is, She's is wrong gonna, about that, though, that's right? What, that, that's, that's what I think. Um, but, yeah, I had, I had a lot of superstitions that started all the way, the, you know, for the, the Wednesday before, um, all the way through uh, during the season that I had to do, uh, I had to do certain things, uh, and you know wear my wristbands a certain way, and and uh, you know so uh, yeah that that uh, there were too many to 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 list. 
At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, our team works with you to understand your technology concerns, then deploys the right solution for your unique needs. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take that next step, Blackfoot is here to help. For more information, visit grizzgrades.com or call 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. Well, even if you didn't watch, I'm sure you knew immediately when the field goal went through the uprights because I'm sure you're getting mobbed by <laughs> everyone around you. But being on that field in that moment and celebrating with your team and realizing that you guys had reached the mountaintop, that must have been an incredible feeling. Oh, it was. I mean, that, that you know, and then to, to, to get on the plane and to fly back to Missoula and to have, you know, you think of, you know, this pre-9-11, right, to have – you know, us circling above the, the, the airport in Missoula for 30 to 40 minutes because they're trying to contain the crowd that has got down to the airport. I mean, that whole, that whole from the end of that game to the flight home to, the, to stepping on the stage out at the airport and, and, and all that is just, it's just like a, like a fast-forward blur in my, in my mind. Do you have, though, out of that the next, you know, 48 hours the parade whatever it might be do you have a moment that stands out where you go wow that that is that's going to stick with me um you know it's funny you say parade i don't even so i don't even remember being in a parade i'm sure we had one like i don't even remember that part of it. well we know why you don't remember, remember it matt that's okay <laughs> we don't know no judgment passed <laughs> no i don't know um that would have been pretty early, I would imagine. Um, but uh, I do remember us having the, the, the thing in the, the field house and the governor being there. And I do remember a whole bunch of people, just thousands of people coming, you know, to, to us. And I do remember, I have a picture of, uh, they, I was one of the people to speak and a couple of the offensive linemen thought it'd be funny to bring a chair and put it right in front of the podium so I could stand on it so they, <laughs> that I could be taller than the podium. And so there's a picture of me in the, in the field house on a stage, standing on a folding chair, leaning over to the microphone. And, and uh, I, I do remember that that was kind of, I remember thinking, wow, there's, I mean, okay, the game's already happened. And there was this people at the airport, but this is, you know, I don't know how many, if it was a week later or whatever, but, you know, to have to to have that many people then show up just to celebrate the, the national championship. I, I I remember thinking, wow, this is this is this is a big deal, and this is good for Montana and and good for the university. The last game you ever play at the University of Montana is a national championship, and you, as they say, right off into the sunset. You graduate, you move on, and. Uh, about two years ago, you get the call that you are going into the University of Montana Hall of Fame. What was that like for you to uh, to have that uh, honor bestowed upon you, and and maybe I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a finality, but certainly maybe a full circle aspect to your career and and what it was uh, that you accomplished with your team, of course, at the University of Montana. Yeah, I was. Um, I'll never forget. I was in St. Louis and I was driving around, you know, on my appointments and got the call from uh, Kent and. Um, kind of had to pull over that was a really, really, really cool moment. Um, but at the same time, I also was, you know, felt a little guilty because I played with hundreds of great wide receivers. And, and honestly, I see that as just a, an extension of, 
all of the, the Don Reed wide receivers that uh, you can't put everybody in. And I played with so many great people. And I just probably, probably the reason I get in is I had two touchdowns in a national championship game. Um, but we played with so many great, great people that I remember thinking, well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to put a hundred people in if they're, they're putting me in. Um, so, you know, that was humbling. It was cool. What, what, what really made it cool um, was, you know, my kids, you know, they, they'd hear, you know, their dad say this, or we'd, we'd go up to Montana and people would come up to me every once in a while or, and they'd kind of roll their eyes. Uh, but, you know, with that, it was, it was a pretty cool thing. And, and, and my daughters really, really ate it up and, and enjoyed it. And, you know, the only bittersweet was my, my, my father, who was the biggest, biggest Grizz fan. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it just a few years before had unexpectedly died. And so, you know, he would have, he would have loved, uh, he would have loved that. And that, that, you know, that was the only part where I was, that was a little bit sad. That moment was a launching point for the University of Montana. You reach the mountaintop, but then stay elite uh, for so long. The Grizz never missed the playoffs for since you know 1993 through 2009, and um, multiple national championship game appearances, seven in, in 14 years, pretty much unprecedented success at the uh, Division One AA and then FCS level. Have you considered? just the foundation that you guys laid? And if so, is that something that your group takes pride in? Well, I think if, you, if you've ever played for the University of Montana football, you take pride in it. Um, I think that that's, that's the great thing about it, uh, you know, and, and even, even before the Coach Reed days. But, you know, really since the Coach Reed days and, and followed by Coach Dennehy and, and Hauk and the different people and then Hauk again. And, you know, I think, you know, that, that – that it is like a family. It is something that you're very proud of. And honestly, um, the, the success they had after, you know, I could be in, in the Midwest and I could say, Oh, I, you know, I played for Montana and they'd be like, Oh really? You know, they knew, they knew about it. And I don't think that was the case, you know, really prior. And, and when they won so many games and so many, you know, you know playoff appearances and, and the stuff they did after, um, you know, it, yeah, sure. We probably, Sure, we probably had a little help in that, but at the end of the day, those are those players, and uh, you know, I'm sure it helps recruiting wise and things like that. But they, they were, they were some incredible teams, and and you know, and I think we're really close to having an incredible team again. It's unfortunate we're we're dealing with the, uh, you know, the COVID stuff. I was really excited for this year, but you know, there'll be a there'll be a time, and we've got some great players, and I think I think the program's really ready for their even you know like a drop-off for us isn't been a drop-off for a lot of programs right uh, and what we complain about is the drop-off that teams would dream of of having for a season but I'm really excited with you know where uh, where and how coach Houck is is you know taking this team currently right now Matt last question for you we know that you're living outside of Kansas City with your family but what is life like for Matt Wells now 25 years later after the national championship I'm still competitive as can be. Um, you know, a lot of my friends roll their eyes when I say this, but uh, I've picked up indoor soccer. I play with a, a group of guys, uh, indoor soccer. I like it because we can push and shove a little bit, but it's like basketball, you know, big giant soccer field is, you know, that's just too much running for me, but I got a group, uh, our team names dummy run, um, you know, and uh, we, we play every Sunday night 
uh, take the summers off and we're all most, most of these guys were division one soccer players. Um, good soccer players. I'm the, I'm the quick guy who doesn't have any real good foot skills, but, uh, you know, still have a little bit of quickness. And so, you know, from that standpoint, that's what I still do. I just love, I love competition. I love sports. And then, you know, from the family side, we spend a lot of time when we're not, uh, not working. We spend a lot of time down at our lake house, you know, uh, surfing and, and water skiing and playing cards and playing. We, we got the, uh, uh, bags or cornhole boards, whatever you call them, depending on where you are in the country. And we have big tournaments, you know, my family, my daughters, my wife, we're all super competitive. There's many times we're going to bed mad at each other because someone won or someone <laughs> beat somebody else. And, you know, they were ready to, to play again. So, you know, that, that competitive spirit, uh, you know, I, I certainly, you know, have the right family for that, that they, they, they put up with it and, and fight back just as hard with me. Well, Matt, I'll tell you what, we, we really appreciate the time. Some unbelievable memories uh, that, uh, that you and the Grizzlies delivered over your four years, and of course, not the least of which, a 1995 National Championship. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Good luck with the project. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions with Matt Wells. We certainly appreciate his time to sit down and chat with us. Grizz Greats is proudly sponsored by First Security Bank of Missoula and Blackfoot Communications. We appreciate them for their help in making this a reality. You can get all the Grizz Greats episodes anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or you can play it online at grizzgreats.com. Enjoy the entire series and relive the moments with the people who made up the 1995 National Championship team for the University of Montana. For Colter Nuanez, I'm Ryan Tutel. Thanks for listening.